Hey, Diddly China is produced together with our friends at Radii, this awesome independent media platform. If you're interested in culture and innovation in China, you should definitely check out RadiiChina.com. They'll give you an inside look into everything from China's underground music scene to bike sharing. That's R A D I I China dot com. <laughs> You gotta appreciate it. It's like everyone wanted Vine to come back. Here it is. This is it. They're taking Musically and they're taking TikTok and they're just merging them together. It's interesting, Bob. This is one of the first, you know, Chinese apps that has had a huge success here in the U.S. It is bigger than Twitter. It is bigger than Snapchat. It is literally an actual global community. Recently, a new app called Lasso was launched on the U.S. market. Short video format targeted for teens. And a few days after, we learned that Facebook was behind this new mysterious app. A few weeks later, Tencent also launches a new short video app targeted for teens. Both of these new apps could easily be just called copycats of the hugely popular TikTok, or musically, as it was called in the Western market up until this summer. That's what today's episode is going to be about: TikTok, their rise to global fame, and also if a Chinese company creating a new teens app for the Western world is a one-time thing or maybe the first step of a big new trend. Welcome to Digitally China. A podcast about the fascinating Chinese, Chinese tech, tech industry, industry created together with Radio. I'm Eva. I'm Jacob, and I'm Tom. So, according to various studies, China's gaming industry is now, in fact, the largest in the world. You may know their messaging app called WeChat. Chinese outbound M&A. Chinese corporates are buying international companies at record pace. The hottest phone you've probably never heard of. China's Xiaomi. Yes, it's state. It's claim to Apple's credit. Major deal over in China. You have Chinese tech giant Tencent leading an 8.6 billion dollar acquisition to buy a major stake in Supercell. 14.3 billion dollars in sales bought by a Chinese e-commerce site in one wild day. About three years ago, Musically blew up. I, I remember actually meeting them just a month or two after they just hit like number one most downloaded app in the U.S. over the summer, and that was so shocking, right, for a Chinese company to be able to do that. So I think it's important to note that it's not so common for Chinese apps or products,、uh, especially consumer-facing digital products, to do well overseas,、um, and I don't. Necessarily think that that's unique to China per se. I think going to any international market away from your home base is tough for any company and startup. So I think it's worth pointing out that it's very significant that Musically, which was headquartered in Shanghai,、uh, did so well、uh, blending into North American markets and attracting teenagers from Canada and the U.S. and then later from other countries. Uh, and I think that part of that is due to the fact that it's driven mainly by user-generated content or UGC. So you can imagine, like, if you open the app and you see videos that are created by people in your country according to what's popular in your culture, it's very easy for it to kind of camouflage itself as a local product. 
I think the main reason why I'm so interested in this topic is, you know, we all knew about the user numbers of Musical.ly or TikTok, but now we're going to see actual competition. You know, Facebook getting in the game, Tencent getting in the game. So it this feels a little bit like a few years back when it was all this hype about Snapchat and Facebook trying to acquire Snapchat and then, you know, starting new features within Instagram to compete with them, etc., etc. And that's what we're going to talk about today. The rise of Musical.ly, how it actually became this huge while being based in Shanghai, and also the upcoming war between Facebook, Tencent and ByteDance that owns TikTok. But first, let's for our listeners that are probably not teens or not into <laughs> new teen trends, maybe go through what Musical.ly and TikTok actually is. Musical.ly actually launched as a lip sync app where basically users uploaded very short videos while they were lip syncing to like a favorite song they had and then later developed into having other types of short videos. But there's one consistent thing with all of these short videos, which is that they usually have a music background and people are doing stuff to this music, either lip syncing or, you know, dancing or whatnot. And they're using the apps in built-in editing tools in order to do their movements faster and like time it to the music and the beats. Yeah, I think also just um, a fun fact is that uh, when Musical.ly was first founded, the co-founders wanted to create educational videos, but then they had to make an abrupt pivot when that wasn't working. Um, into something more entertainment focused. One of the co-founders, Louis, told me that they were in California and they could see a bunch of American teens like taking silly videos. Um, and that kind of kickstarted their whole idea. Of course, I don't know if it was just that moment. There are lots of short video products that have preceded musically like Vine, right? Which, you know, R.I.P. Vine. But I think it's interesting that they had started off with something more serious. And now it's the opposite. Yeah. So basically, over the next few years, they attracted quite a lot of uh, VC money from abroad. And they also expanded aggressively, especially into Europe and the US. And I think I've heard like crazy numbers, like in certain European countries, they basically have, you know, 30 to 50% of the like internet user base in terms of active users. And then after they actually became hugely successful in the West, we saw kind of the same type of behavior that sometimes happened on the Chinese technology sector, which is a Chinese internet company, seeing what they were doing abroad and thought, wait, this could actually maybe even work here in China and just copied them. So Douyin in China, I remember when it first launched, it partnered up with Rap of China. I don't know if you've ever watched Rap of China. Tom, I imagine you probably have better things to do, but <laughs> it was this rap competition, which is actually pretty entertaining. Um, and the competition, you know, they had rappers um, from all over China, and then they had like a panel of celebrity judges. And Douyin had partnered with Rap of China. I think you could see a lot of rap videos on Douyin as well. So that definitely helped boost its profile. And then after that, I think um, people started noticing that its popularity continued to grow even after the first season of Rap of China was over, obviously. I guess for people who haven't used Musical.ly or Douyin, um, a good way to sum it up, it's, it's short videos, obviously, I think about 15 seconds or so 
paired with music, music's a very important part of it, but I think what makes it so addictive is that it's kind of an endless scrolling feature. You have the video, you scroll up, there's another one. You can keep doing that for hours, basically. And then if you like the video creator, you can obviously go into the profile, see their videos, etc. Yeah, and important to note, obviously, is that the company starting Douyin was ByteDance, at that time owner of Jinzhi Toutiao, which was this already huge app. And they were on this quest to build dominance on the Chinese internet market with new apps and new products that could, you know, attract the younger target group. Yeah, and I think, you know, I don't want to spend too much time on ByteDance because it's a huge company. It's one of the highest valued private companies. I think it's around... Its valuation is more than Uber, perhaps $75 billion or so. But I guess what I would say about ByteDance and what they've done really well is that they were actually founded in 2012, I believe, and they focused on like a one-stop shop for news and that kind of content, but through the phone. Between 2011 and 2016, the number of mobile internet users in China actually doubled from like 300 um, 350 to about 700 million people. And so, mm-hmm. like, ByteDance really caught China at the perfect time. They're very, very early. Because you can imagine there's so many ways to get content now through your mobile phone, especially when it comes to news. But I think ByteDance was very early in terms of aggregating different types of news. Now that they've kind of mastered mobile text content, I think short video was a natural transition. So, so obviously, you know, thanks to owning already huge apps in China, also thanks to the sponsorship of Rap of China, they could scale Douyin pretty fast. And I think by around April, May this year, Douyin had somewhere around 300 million users which actually is the reason why we are here today, because around that point, they actually went and acquired Musical.ly for almost a billion US dollars. And actually this summer, merging the two of them under the same brand, TikTok. But actually TikTok existed before. It was kind of Douyin's way to try to go global. And they were actually pretty strong in some Southeast Asian countries. But I think throughout that process, they probably realized that the much faster road to global success is to just buy musically. And thanks to the huge user base back home in China and the huge valuation they could get through that, you know, they could literally just afford to buy their main global competitor using money they already from investors. Yeah, and I think more importantly, Musical.ly gave them access to markets that would have been very hard for them to approach on their own. So December 2017, ByteDance had this conference and at this press briefing, um, I think the VP of Corporate Strategy, who used to be at Uber China, um, she said that they felt that, you know, countries in Asia like Japan and Korea and you know, Southeast Asia, the culture, relatively speaking, is a bit closer to China. So those are obviously, let's not say low-hanging fruit, but much more accessible, whereas Mm -hmm. a mature market like North America is much harder to break into. That's Musical.ly's strength. You know, they started off with teens in the U.S. and Canada, and then I think they got following in some countries in South America, Europe as well. So that's kind of the other side of the world that TikTok would have had to conquer on its own. Yeah, uh, that actually leads us into the first topic, which is this format of content. Short videos, 15 seconds, 
a lot of music. Like, you know, we've seen a progression of content through mobile, right? From the photos, i.e. Instagram, and then Snapchat coming with shorter videos. And now we're seeing this progression into super short videos, endless stream, music is central, that actually enables more people to create content without being like creatively awesome, because it's only 15 seconds and you always have a good song as a base. I think with these really short clips, and when I say short, I really mean um, under a minute, I think these really short video clips are also super compatible with things like memes, viral campaigns, stuff like that, right? Because you're not telling a story per se in this video, it's too short for that, but you're just showing like a stunt something crazy, something funny. Um, and if it's like a kind of campaign called Tumbleweed where people roll around on the ground with Western music in the background, um, that's something that you couldn't really watch like a more than a minute of, right? But it's perfect for a few seconds. So I think that's made it this new like music focused, super short video content, really addictive and compelling, especially for young people. Yeah, so the two very interesting topics to discuss here is, number one, how this is going to impact like the internet scene, and now especially when Facebook and Tencent are getting in there. But let's start with the second topic around this first, which is the fact that a Chinese team with Chinese entrepreneurs, Chinese engineers based in Shanghai, managed to define and set a new global teen trend. So I actually just hosted a panel recently where we discussed the globalization of Chinese tech. And then one of the panelists said something very interesting uh, referring to Musical.ly and TikTok. He said, you know, the designer of Musical.ly is world class. He's a Chinese guy, but he's awesome. And he studied at a like, really top design school in the US. And then this panelist said, you know what, that's how easy it is. Just go study at a really good design school, have good taste, and then you can create stuff for the Western market. It's not that hard. (laughs) Are we seeing a new trend happening now with Chinese entrepreneurs being able to create new Western products out of the blue? Um, I would agree with part of that panelist's response, but I also think it's a bit more complex. So it is true that a lot of talented Chinese students benefit from overseas education. And obviously, it's not a one-way thing, right? They're also contributing to whatever country you know they're setting in right Mm -hmm. so and with design like I also know with architecture I have a lot of Chinese friends who studied architecture in architecture schools overseas you know Europe the U.S. and then when they come back they're able to well some of them are able to use what they've learned maybe western design concepts or whatever and apply that in China where there's actually a lot more architecture projects because there's constant construction here right yep and I think for digital design, I'm sure there's there's a similar trend happening there too. I think with Musical.ly, the thing that's a bit different though is that one, like I said earlier, it's very heavily driven by user-generated content. In that sense, as a designer, you don't need to do anything. You just need to make it possible for users to easily showcase their own content, right? So yeah. it's about making their experience and the workflow super simple very easy and your job as a company is to make sure that you have local music you have those copyright like you've obtained the rights to have local music because if I'm a teen in the U.S. and I want to use an American song and it's not available then that's a huge issue for me right as a content creator Mm -hmm. so I think in terms of like the visual design because it's so UGC focused or user-generated content focused the designer just has to make it 
like the UX has to be super good. The user experience, the workflows have to be very easy. But in terms of like what you see and the visuals, that comes from the users. I don't think the company can take credit for that, if that makes sense. But another way to look at it is that, I mean, really skilled entrepreneurs worldwide are always skilled entrepreneurs, right? Whether they are Chinese or Americans or Swedish, doesn't matter. But I think we've seen a few years of all that talent in China being limited only to China, not because they don't want to go abroad, because China has had so many opportunities. So why should you try to do something else outside, you know, with this huge growth over here and, you know, all the VC money floating around, etc., etc. But lately, the last few years, we've seen the Chinese internet market mature way more and, and the competition here is brutal nowadays in terms of being much easier for a lot of entrepreneurs to actually do something in Brazil or in Europe or in Southeast Asia. Would you agree on that? It's true that things are more cutthroat here, but I think it's also incredibly, I mean, I've never been an entrepreneur, so I can't speak from experience, but I think it's incredibly disorienting to go into a foreign market. I mean, it's true that China's internet industry has grown at breakneck speed over the past 10, 20 years. But a lot of the products rely on a ton of local connections and knowledge or their services are very localized. And because the Chinese market is so huge, you can be a purely local market, do that super well and make a lot of money. And then with that money, then you can start preparing for overseas expansion. I think musically in part because its pivot into short video was so serendipitous, you know, they just went with it. My reaction to your question is that if that's the case, why haven't we seen more successful overseas Chinese consumer-facing products then? Clearly, it's not so simple, right? Even if competition is more cutthroat in China, not every Chinese entrepreneur can take its team and, you know, into a new market, right? But the question is if we will see more of that, because in some ways, musically, we're kind of the first really big consumer hit from China. Um, I'm going to give you one of my non-committal answers. So I think what I can say is that there's been an increase in interest from Chinese companies to go overseas, you know, in part because, yes, it's super competitive in China. So you need to look for, let's say, greener pastures or untapped markets, especially in Southeast Asia. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of Chinese companies have also wanted to go public overseas, you know, whether in Hong Kong or New York Stock mm -hmm. Exchange. But I do not know if they will be successful, right? Like, I think a lot of the IPOs this year were disappointing, you know, for many, a wide range of factors, right? Not just because of the companies themselves, but because of the geopolitical climate this year. So I think Musical.ly is very special, too. I think, like, its success has a lot to do with the kind of market it's in. So I, I can't really... I don't know that I would say that we'll see like a wave of musically level success from Chinese entrepreneurs. And it's actually a very interesting discussion because I'm of the total opposite views, basically just because there are so many things going on right now in China and we're getting in loads of top class talent, like both Chinese, you know, but also totally foreign entrepreneurs and creators and whatnot. And, and with all the VC money floating around with the deep pockets, 
that exist here. We're seeing a lot of new young entrepreneurs over here trying to create something for the world, but with China as a base only because they've got access to talent and access to capital here. I don't think that it's because of a lack of talent that Chinese companies will not be able to be successful overseas. Right. I think they're talented entrepreneurs and software developers and designers in both markets. If we're you know, looking at the U.S. and China, I just think that like for any company that wants to make it big overseas, either you create a product that's filling a gap. Maybe you're the first. Right. First mover advantage. And maybe Musical.ly was like that. Right. Like there weren't that many 15 second music based apps in North America when they launched. So they definitely mm-hmm. had a first mover advantage and they localized super well. And they spent a lot of effort. Like they had a, an office in L.A., I believe, recruiting um, celebrity singers, uh, KOLs near Hollywood. So that was Musical.ly's advantage, right? Um, or I think you just have to be, you as a company, are your product, your team is so much more experienced than what's available locally. So maybe with huge U.S. tech corporates, they've been able to do this in many, many markets. So my point about Chinese companies struggling perhaps to expand overseas is simply because, yeah, it's not your home market. So what's what's your advantage? Are you the first mover? Do you have a much more mature product um, and product development team? Like, what is it, right? Because you're going to have to fight with local entrepreneurs who, like, I, I don't think that you know, like local entrepreneurs in other markets might copy Chinese companies trying to move in, right? And if they have better local connections or whatever, then Chinese companies will face the same barriers that foreign companies, well, similar barriers that foreign companies face when they're in China. Which actually takes us into next topic. So Musical.ly or TikTok have had first mover advantage, gone global, done a really, really good job. And now we're seeing, you know, the big giant Facebook entering the space and probably feeling threatened by TikTok owning so many of the American and European teams and wanting to grab that market by themselves. So before we start talking about, you know, that Facebook is getting into this industry right now and what might happen, let's go through TikTok, their recent developments and their future first. So actually, for me, one of the most impressive things about TikTok or Musical.ly is when I learned that, you know, in Sweden, I grew up in Sweden, obviously, so that's why this is even more relevant for me. But a survey showed that the main way to discover music among teens was TikTok or Musical.ly. And we got to remember that even though Sweden is a small country, Sweden is proud of one big thing, which is called Spotify. So it's crazy that in the home country of Spotify, another app got the position of being the primary method to discover new music. And having a position like that in Sweden, i.e. also having positions like this in Germany and France and a bunch of other countries, enables actually TikTok or Musical.ly to be a really good advertising channel where you can impact people that greatly. And if we actually look at Douyin in China, they've been doing quite a lot in terms of monetization of this exact type of product. Right. So, you know, like all companies, whether they're tech or, you know, fast moving consumer goods, everyone is obsessed with young people, you know, teens, the next generation of paying consumers. Right. So I think uh, this is also why people are focused on 
teen-centric apps like TikTok, Musical.ly, Douyin in China, right? Mm-hmm. So in Douyin, like you mentioned, there's ads. Um, I have to say that though, you know, if you're on Instagram, you will probably see one ad out of every five posts, right? Maybe even yeah. higher concentration. But on Douyin, I didn't see as many, but they were definitely there. So. Different shop sellers can have their own Douyin account, so the ads can be two ways, right? Ads can be more soft, unpaid, as in you just create your own 15-second video, or they can be harder ads, like ads that Douyin makes money from. So, for example, there's this one account that also ran her own Taobao shop, and so this person, like, she does makeup short videos. She's very, very good at these. Makeup、uh, short videos, very fast,、mm-hmm. pretty heavy makeup, so not my style. But that's fine because you're just watching for entertainment, right? You don't have to. It's not like YouTube where you're actually like going along with this person. So at the end of her video, like this little window pops up, and if you click on it, it goes to her. She was pushing specific. I think it was like eyeshadow because she used eyeshadow in that particular video, and you can、mm-hmm. click on it and go to her Taobao shop just to give people a sense of like what are what are these ads like. So I heard from an entrepreneur friend of mine that you know his view on this was that Douyin has perfected the art of being able to match people with the right ads. I literally they're generating very high click rates. So if we look at their current business model, because they have so efficient algorithms in terms of you know generating clicks that they're getting paid for by advertisers, right now that revenue is actually higher than your use acquisition cost, meaning. That they basically have an unlimited marketing budget to get new users onto Douyin, and then they have advertisers already ready to pay them more money in order to get that traffic. Which is very interesting because at the end of the day, the reason why Facebook is getting in here and Tencent is getting in here is because they are afraid of losing market share when it comes to users. So at the end of the day, we're talking about competition of advertising dollars. I think something else is that last year ByteDance had this AI conference and they had a bunch of group interviews, so a bunch of different media organizations interviewing one person basically.、Um, and the head of ByteDance's AI lab, Ma Weiying, he was, you know, explaining different things about their product.、Um, and at that time, that was a year ago,、um, he was talking about how they have different technology that even if you don't have a direct social connection with someone, like their friend or a friend of a friend, you could be grouped as being like-minded. You know, in terms of your usage patterns, what you're interested in,、um, maybe even your geography. This is like the core of the TikTok product, right? The more they understand about the short video you are looking at, the better they can do to get you to watch more.、Mm-hmm. And when applying that exact mindset on advertising, it actually makes even more sense. My entire point being, in order for a brand to get high efficiency out of the advertising, is not only about finding the right people. I let's say, oh, you know, I found you, Eva. You're living in Beijing, and my guess is that because of your age and your profession, maybe you would be interesting in buying this type of product.、Right. That only solves part of the problem. The other part is understanding exactly when and how to sell it to you, and it is the how that is the hardest thing because it is in terms of what type of format. How do I visualize this product for you, etc., etc.? And what I mean is that when a company can analyze their own content that they supply to their own users, it enables them to actually gather huge insights about the users and therefore how to showcase, let's say, makeup to a specific fourteen-year-old somewhere. Yeah, and, and otherwise you're kind of maybe like, for example, if you do fitness products, then you think about. 
what demographic groups stereotypically or okay typically are associated with your product, and then you'll push ads according to that, right? Like young people in big cities, blah blah blah, right?、Mm-hmm. Whereas maybe if you're on Douyin,、um, TikTok. Let's say you're talking to ByteDance about advertising. They can just say, "Oh, why don't we push your ad to people who've shown an interest in working out?" And I feel like maybe that's, from an advertising perspective, more compelling、um, pitch than saying, "Oh, we can push it to you know different demographic groups." But instead, they can just say, "We know people who are interested in content that is directly related to your product. We will push it to those people." Which actually brings us to the final topic of today's episode, right?、Uh, so Facebook launching Lasso. It's very early days, obviously, and we don't know what's going to happen. But if we look at Past performances,、uh, once Facebook have tried to do exactly the same thing, they've more or less always succeeded. They really identified messaging as a big thing, so they started to build up Facebook Messenger and making it a very very successful product, and then actually also buying WhatsApp. But then we see the same thing with、uh, you know Instagram, them launching Instagram Stories because they wanted to compete with Snapchat, and now I think the last quarter Instagram st- Stories has. Twice as high growth as Snapchat. So, are Facebook gonna kill TikTok? I guess, from my perspective, I still feel like Facebook is not the strongest when it comes to mobile products because it had to acquire its way into success, right? Which maybe、mm-hmm. is just because it's a bigger company and it's harder to be as agile as these smaller startups, right? But I think what's been telling for me is that a lot of these founders, like Instagram founders, WhatsApp. They've all left, you know, and I'm not totally、yep. tapped into what's happening in the U.S. tech industry, you know, since I'm based here. But I guess from other media reports, it sounds like there's some disputes over management or product decisions. So I wonder how that'll affect Instagram now that the founders have decided to leave. And I think you know, recently Lasso is so new, right? I think it launched early November、um, or a few weeks ago. The guy who's in charge of Lasso left after it launched. He's moving to Netflix. Yeah. That doesn't mean that the app won't do well or they can't hire. I'm sure they can offer like really competitive benefits. Like, and they're really an attractive employer for a lot of tech people, right? Despite all the bad press, I think still a lot of tech people want to work at Facebook.、Mm-hmm. Um, that's my long-winded way of saying like. This doesn't mean that they can't succeed, but it it is not a great sign if the person who's in charge of the product leaves so quickly and doesn't want to stay longer to kind of see the growth of this potentially exciting app, right? Yeah, definitely. I I think there are a few things with this Lasso launch that's different from how Facebook have done it previously, right? Because previously, when they have directly competed with companies they basically wanted to kill, they've gone directly at them. Such as you know launching a feature in Instagram to compete with Snapchat, not not launching a Snapchat clone on the side. Yeah, so I mean, I guess if you ask me, like, what do you think Facebook's advantages are? I mean, obviously they have this enormous social network. So when you open Lasso, like you log in with Instagram or Facebook, so you can already port some of the existing user data into the app. So it's not starting from a blank slate for a lot of Lasso users. 
And I think, you know, a big part of these short video apps is the music. Like, will it be easier for Facebook to offer more music that'll also give it an edge? I think we're seeing very similar behavior to how Facebook have done it in the past. Because in the past, when they've tried to compete with both Snapchat and WhatsApp, they've many times launched or invested in a kind of a separate entity, like a separate app doing more or less the same thing. And then usually failing with that, but then going head to head with it and through that probably learning a bunch of things. And then they have taken the best features and best learnings and integrated into one of their core products, which would be in this case, Instagram or Facebook. Mm. So if I were to speculate about the future, I mean, I think it's very apparent this type of product, this type of target group, super important and almost critical for Facebook's growth. The same way as they viewed Instagram back in the days. The only challenge now is that ByteDance is way too big. So they will not be able to buy ByteDance, which means that if Facebook lose this type of entertainment content position among teens in the West, then that's a really big threat for their like longevity. Yes, I think that Facebook does really need to focus on attracting younger users to its platform. Um, and that's also why Instagram has become such an important part of their product. It's done that. Like a lot of Facebook users might actually just use Instagram and not really uh, Facebook itself. So if they could get Lasso to take off, then they can kind of refresh the user base. I mean, that's not to say that Facebook can come up or add features that TikTok doesn't have that, you know, people grab onto, like, you know, maybe they'll have tipping rewards. So like, let's say I'm watching a video and I really like this creator and I send them like a digital Ferrari or something to get the money. I don't think it's the case is closed. I do think they have an opportunity to kind of leverage their strengths and maybe add features that TikTok doesn't have. Yeah, I guess we'll, I'm excited to see where this goes. Yeah, exciting. If you have any questions or feedback or anything you think we missed, please do let us know. We would very much appreciate that. Digitally China is produced by me, Jacob Noven, Eva Xiao, and Tom Shaw, and is powered by Radii, an independent media platform exploring culture, innovation, and life in China. You can find them at radiichina.com. Thank you for listening. Wait, I'm going to pretend like I'm you for a second. Is TikTok going to buy Spotify? Yes, no. No, because Facebook or Tencent is going to buy Spotify and use that also to chase after TikTok. I have to dream bigger. <laughs> um. <laughs>